Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. Good morning, Harvest. I know that technically uh, it's past Christmas when you'll be watching this, but today we're recording on Wednesday and it's still not Christmas yet, so we still have a Christmas tree, I still have a Christmas sweater, I hope you'll forgive us, we just want to stay in the spirit of things. Uh, This morning, um, we're done with the Advent series, but we're still continuing in the Bible Project series, and we thought it would be good to close out the year with a message about Sabbath rest, and probably this year more than most, it will be a welcome message. And I really hope that this morning's word will be for you equal parts comfort and invitation, but also challenge. You know, the word rest evokes such inviting images, doesn't it? I always think of a comfortable bed. It's something that I have too little relationship with, but I wish I had more of. And uh, I think we all love the idea of rest, but we Americans seem to be pretty bad at it. According to one study, Americans work 137 hours a year more than Japanese workers and 499 hours more than French workers every year. You know, that means we work on average 10 hours a week more than the average Frenchman. It's crazy. And yet, we leave 768 million vacation days unused. At least that was the the statistic in 2018, and I think that's held fairly steady. And what's crazy is of those 768 million vacation days, a third of them were just totally forfeited. They didn't roll over to the next year or accrue. Even our entertainment is approached with this frenetic intensity. We play almost as hard as we work. The U.S. leads the world with four hours and three minutes of TV watching per person per day on average. That's insane to me, that we watch more television than anyone else on earth in four hours a day on average. And that includes streaming services and all that. So looking at all this data, I think it's safe to say that we Americans may be literally the most restless people on the earth. What a relief then to know that we have a God who literally commands us to rest. Isn't that good news? You know, when you look at the Ten Commandments, they reveal God's design for human flourishing. It may seem like a list of rules, but really it's pointing to God the Creator showing us, if you want to flourish in life together, this is what must happen. And this includes flourishing in life together with God. And when you look at all these these commandments, it's really hard for any normal person to disagree with any of these, right? I mean, th- this looks like how we're supposed to live. And Jesus made it clear in Matthew 5.17 that He didn't come to abolish these. He, he fully embraced them. In fact, often He took th- these rules and He ratcheted it up a notch. He, he escalated what they mean for us. And so there's nothing about being a Christian that makes the Ten Commandments invalid. They are just as important to us as they were to the Jewish people. They still carry something forceful in revealing the heart and the character of God and His design for us to flourish with Him and with one another. But among these, you'll notice that the fourth command is probably the one that we give the least amount of attention to. 
Yet what's ironic about this is that if you look at the Ten Commandments, the one against murder is just like four words. Thou shalt not murder. But the one on the Sabbath is the wordiest of all the commandments. It has 99 words in the NIV. I mean, that's crazy to me. Four words against murder. 99 words about keeping the Sabbath. Clearly, keeping the Sabbath matters to God, and it, it's something that needs a little more hand-holding for us to understand God's heart about it. So he gave us a lot of explicit words. And I want to talk about two kinds of rest that God talks about related to the Sabbath. There's two places where the Ten Commandments appear in the Old Testament, and one of them is Exodus chapter 20. And when you look at the, the um, Sabbath command in Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11, you'll notice some things. Let me just read it through once for you. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son, nor daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, or nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. So in Hebrew there are two key words that, that we translate as rest. And the first is Shabbat. Wherever you see the word Sabbath in this passage, that's really just where we derive the word, um, that's the Hebrew word Shabbat, from which we get Sabbath in English. It literally means just to stop, to cease from working, whatever you were doing. And I've, I've read and heard from people who've been to Jerusalem that around 6 p.m. Friday when, uh, when Sabbath technically begins for the Jewish people, the whole city becomes quiet, literally comes to a standstill. It's a very interesting thing. I would love to experience that in person one day. This idea that everyone just stops. And for the period of Sabbath, whatever you do for work just doesn't happen anymore. Very simple word. Stop working. But there's a second kind of rest. And that second word is nuach. And it goes beyond just the stopping of work. It is about settling in or dwelling. And that's the word in verse 11 where it says, after six days of making everything, the Lord himself rested. He settled in and he dwelt with what he had made. This word also appears in other passages uh, 67 times in the, in the Old Testament. Here are a couple good examples. Genesis 8, 3-4, it says, After all the tumultuous storm of the flood... Noah's ark finally came to Nuach on the mountain. In Exodus 17.11, there was this great battle against the Malachites and the Israelites, and whenever Moses held up his hands, the Israelites would win. And whenever he nuached his hands, he lowered or rested or settled them, then the Amalekites would start winning. And finally, Ezekiel 44.30 is another great example, that God's blessing would nuach on the household of those who are faithful with their tithes and offerings. So you get the idea that this word nuach doesn't just mean to stop, it means to really get comfortable, to settle in, to dwell in safety and comfort. Both words appear in the Sabbath commandment, and they're interconnected. You have to do one 
in order to experience the other. In other words, you have to Shabbat in order to Nuach. If you don't create space and time by stopping your work, you can't actually experience the kind of deep, settled-in, dwelling rest which God wants for us. So the Lord gives us a number of reasons for why we should keep the Sabbath, why it matters to Him. And these are important reasons, and I want to spell them out for us. The first reason is because God set it apart. In Exodus 20, verse 11, it says that, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but He rested on the seventh day. And therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. That phrase, made it holy, really just means that He set this day apart as different from all the other days. It was sacred, not something to be messed around with. God felt so strongly about this divine rhythm of one day in seven, where we, six days we work hard, and one day we rest. We cease from our work. Most Christians believe that we keep the Sabbath mainly by going to church. So for an hour to two hours every week, we keep the Sabbath by coming to service. Now, obviously, there's more to it than that, but the pandemic has made even that very challenging for us, hasn't it? This idea that we honor the Sabbath of God by going to church has become really strange. And I love what one family shared with me, that what they started to do was they woke up on time, got the kids ready, all dressed up, and they literally walked out of their house and then walked back into their house, and then turned on the TV, and they went to church. I was so encouraged by that story, because what it, it, the reason they did it was because they felt like what was starting to happen was that church was turning into a, a TV show that they recorded on their DVR, and they were starting to worship around their convenience. And while that was comfortable, and they kind of preferred that to the, the old days of hustling and, and making kids get up in the morning, all that, they realized that that felt wrong somehow to honor and worship God when we were well-rested, when we were, were well-fed, when we wanted to do it, it didn't feel like God was receiving the proper priority in the act of worship. And so they changed everything, and they decided to participate in the premiere and in the seed service. And I was really blessed by that story. I think that's the idea of making something holy and sacred and set apart, is to say that this has priority for me. The way I observe the Sabbath is a reflection of the honor that I feel towards God. Really, the Sabbath command is also about stewardship and ownership, isn't it? You know, we do a pretty good job at Harvest of acknowledging God's ownership over our money. There are a lot of people who are tithing 10% of their money, and we can, we can you know, slice and dice whether the 10% is required or not. I don't think that it is, but 10% is a good measuring line for our money. And yet, when we read the Sabbath command carefully, God is asking us for one-seventh of our time on earth. That's 14.3% of our time. So if, if you're having a hard time letting go of 10% of your money, what God is asking for is 14% of your time. And that's pretty precious because a full third of that time we spend on earth, we're unconscious and asleep. Some of us, it's closer to a quarter, but still, a good portion of our life is already lost to unconsciousness. And God still asks for 14% of that time. 
as devoted to Him and to receiving what He has for us on that day of Sabbath rest. Our attitude towards Sabbath is really a reflection of our relationship with time and the sense in which we own it or God owns our time along with everything else. And if I look at the way I manage my finances versus the way I manage my calendar, I'll make a confession. I think I've, I exercise far more sense of ownership and control over my time than I do of my money. And I noticed that when I was younger, it was harder to part with my money because why? There was less of it. But as I've gotten older and get, I've gotten a little more money, I find it harder to let go of my time. Why? Because there's less of it. And so we might part with money rather generously. But does our time really belong to our God? Another reason to keep the Sabbath is because it forces us to trust God. Now, For six days, we are free to work hard at what we do for a living. But when we Shabbat or stop from our work one day out of every seven, we're devoting the opportunity cost of not working to God and to His purposes for us. To say, today I could work. I'm leaving money on the table here, God. I could move the ball forward. I could advance our, our business. But one day out of seven, I'm going to devote the opportunity cost of working and say, God, I want to rest in You and receive from You and give to You everything that our relationship is supposed to have. And as I, I choose not to work, I'm trusting God to still provide for me with one day less of productive labor. The Israelites, when they were in their wilderness wandering, got a very vivid example of this lesson on trusting God. When they were starving, God rained down this mysterious food called manna from heaven. But remember what He did was, on the sixth day, the day before the Sabbath, he, he told them, I'm going to send extra food. You, you collect a double portion because tomorrow you're not allowed to work at collecting this. Tomorrow is a day of resting in me. So you gather extra today and I'm going to take care of tomorrow today. That's the way that God does it. He says to us, yes, one day you're not permitted to work. But on that day, I still have you. I still have your back. I'm going to take care of you. And what I've noticed is the higher we rise in our, our work, the more prominence or authority or whatever importance we have, the harder it is to trust God in this way. You know, the, the average line-level hourly worker is so happy when there's a day off of work. Like, dude, I get an extra long weekend. But for the CEO, there's a different feeling because everything rides on what he does or doesn't do. And every day, the prosperity of the company is linked to his working or not working. It's harder for us to trust God with this. And there's no fudging with this either. Look at how many words God uses to make this point, that it's not really rest if you are still working vicariously through all of your staff. So he goes overboard to say, this doesn't mean that you get to observe Sabbath rest while you put all of your servants and other assets to work for you. But when you rest... They rest, and you trust your work to God. Right now, as our staff listens to this, they're all high-fiving each other. And that's okay, because I think that's right. If you own a business, then that's part of it is, your resting means letting the others around you rest along with you. When you look at Exodus 34, 21, 
He says that even during the peak seasons of busyness in your work or your industry, when every hour away from work could make a difference, even then, maybe especially then, we're supposed to trust God to be the source of our provision and not ourselves. Most industries have a time of year where things get crazy and it's so tempting to say, look, most weeks I'm pretty faithful, but right now I have to do all this. And I get it. I mean, ministry is no different. We have our, our peak seasons. And yet, even then, and especially then, God says, you need my rest more than ever. If you think you can keep going productively and take shortcuts on this divine rhythm, you're going to find out in the long run that you were mistaken. This rest, this divine rhythm, is a gift to us. Let me give you a third reason why it's important to keep the Sabbath. is because it is a chance for us to remember God. There's a second place in the Old Testament where the Ten Commandments appear. It's Deuteronomy 5. And in that section where he gives the Sabbath commandment, here's what it says in verse 15. Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt, but the Lord your God brought you out with his strong hand and powerful arm. That is why the Lord your God has commanded you to rest on the Sabbath day. So he's connecting the purpose of the Sabbath with this call to remember God. See, the busyness of life makes us so forgetful of God. I I put in four years of working in the corporate world, and I experienced firsthand what many of you probably experience every day, that though I want to think about God in the workplace, most days it's such a crazy fight just to survive and keep my job that I would go a whole workday having not a single thought about God. I would be so inattentive to my story and the place of God in that story. And so the Sabbath rhythm is that one day out of every seven, you put aside every other thing that crowds you and you say, today, I'm going to pay attention to my own story, my own past, and remember the God who has been such a faithful and important part of that story. Because the rest of life makes it so easy to forget Him. I'm going to intentionally remember Him. And remember that He is the source of my salvation. I am where I am because of Him and not because of myself. Do you see how important that is? And that's one of the main reasons why God says the Sabbath is so important. So let me end this way. How do we keep the Sabbath? What are some practical things we can do as Christians to honor the spirit of the Sabbath and participate in it? And the first of those is rest. Really rest. The rhythm of Sabbath rest is part of God's design for human flourishing. We were not created to just keep going, going, going without a pause. We function best when we rest at this frequency. And this rest that comes with the Sabbath is both a gift we receive from God and a gift that we offer to God. We receive it as God's way of slowing us down, uh, an opportunity to actually enjoy God and our loved ones and the fruit of our labors. I mean, what's the point of buying a boat if you're so busy you never get to take it out on the lake? And so the idea of rest on the Sabbath is in part to receive all the good gifts from God and to enjoy the things He's poured into our lives, including the ones around us and including Him. 
but it's also a gift we offer to God. And here's what I mean by this. For the Jews, the Sabbath begins the night before, and I think that's a good clue for us as well. Imagine receiving a box of chocolates as a gift from a friend, only to find when you open it that a bite has been taken out of every single one, and some of the little pockets are actually empty. And what if your friend looked at you and goes, oh yeah, these are for you. I hope you like them, but I already took the ones that I wanted. I I took everything I wanted, and you can have the rest. Would it still feel like a gift? Because I think that's the way we sometimes present ourselves to God on the Sabbath, is we play so hard Saturday night. We take a bite out of everything ourselves, and then we go to bed super late, and when we wake up Sunday morning, we are fried. What we present to God is a weary, half-awake zombie, and we say, here I am, Lord. I'm here for Sabbath rest, but I am burnt out from taking care of myself and enjoying myself the day before. I don't think it's right to offer a worn-out body, and I'm so convicted as I hear this. One of the great blessings of the pandemic has been that I'm no longer pulling Saturday night specials for these sermons anymore. I'm forced to have my sermon finished by Thursday night so that Joe can record it Friday morning. I, I love that because I've reclaimed Saturdays as a reasonable, normal day, and I can enter Sunday fresh and with energy. And that has been such a game changer for me. I want to keep that rhythm as we continue. A second way to keep the Sabbath is to spend the day intentionally trying to grow in my faith. Here's what I mean by that. There are a lot of activities that are meant to be a spiritual gift, a blessing to us, but they end up really draining us because our spiritual conditioning is so poor. You know, think about like jogging long distances, how good it is for your health. But if you're not in good condition, it is deadly to your health. You could actually die from running if you haven't conditioned for it. And that's kind of the picture I see of our spiritual vitality in the church today, is that some of the things that were designed to strengthen our connection to God pull us away from Him because we have done them so little and so uncreatively that we are perpetually in the beginner stage. So there are certain things that I think we can learn, but I don't want to just brute force them and say to you, spend your Sundays turning your day of rest into another kind of work. I don't mean just work harder. What I want to suggest to us is getting very creative about the way that we grow in our faith, stretch and condition our spiritual muscles on that day off. You know, Barna study recently found that in the last year, Daily Bible reading plummeted by an unprecedented 5% across America. And what was even more surprising is when the shutdown came because of the pandemic, they they traced these numbers out and the number plummeted even further. We are doing less Bible reading than ever before. And I find that curious at a time when we have more time and more need for it. And some of that is because I think the way we read the Bible, it's so... um, soul-sucking. It's so wrapped up in just duty that we don't find in those living words food for our soul. So I want to suggest some creative way to maybe spice things up a little bit. And one suggestion I've made to some people that has really helped them is pick a word or a topic that's important to you right now. For some people, they're really wrestling with fear. Others are wrestling with anger. Others are concerned about justice or some social issue. And why don't you pick something like that and say, and with computers, the internet, it's become so much easier to do this than in the old days. Find a little note file and record every instance where that is handled in Scripture. 
And then on Sunday, set aside maybe 15 to 30 minutes every Sunday while you'll sit down and just work through that list and say, what does God's Word actually have to say about a topic that is so important to me? No presumptions, no assumptions. Actually, let the Word of God and God Himself speak to you about this. You would be amazed if you work through that list how deep your appreciation and understanding for that subject will be and how it will actually shape the way you feel and think about something that's already very important to you. I think that is one great way for us to engage in the Word of God. A Pew Research study recently found that every year 27% of Americans don't read a single book. Now, i got to tell you, apart from the Bible, my faith has been so challenged and strengthened by reading good books. Not just Christian books, but just good books in general. God uses all truth to strengthen us. I especially appreciate Christian books, but I've really grown just from my habit of reading. And if, if more than a quarter of us are not reading a single book in a given year, we are missing out on one of the greatest resources to grow. Now, Many of you find reading really challenging. It might be partly because your reading muscle is so stiff and underdeveloped. And so here's what I would suggest. Couple reading with your love of people, if you love people. And so I want to suggest maybe um, creatively doing this. Start a book club. Put out a Harvest Blast email and say, look... I'm looking for people to form a book club, maybe the first three people that respond to me. And here's a book that I'm really interested in. Anybody else want to read this with me? And every Sunday we'll connect for like an hour and talk about the chapters that we've read. I I find that when people engage in book clubs, their engagement with the book actually becomes richer because they're coupling it with a social context that is so helpful. And one last thing I want to touch on is prayer. I think a lot of us find prayer to be an excellent cure for insomnia. Uh, I I find it challenging to pray because I I want to be more action-oriented and prayer puts me in this passive place of needing to depend on God. And frankly, sometimes it's boring. But it's not boring because talking to God is boring. Sometimes it's boring because the way that we pray is so boring. Let me suggest a creative way to grow in prayer. And that is to use a calendar or a journal to say, on Sundays, every Sunday, I'm going to set apart one person or one topic or one issue that I do want to pray about because it's already very important to me. And what I'll do is, you can sit down for 15 minutes and say, I have my prayer journal here. I'm going to list five concrete things that I want to ask God about or say to God about this thing. Maybe if it's a missionary you feel you want to really pray for, Think about that person's life and say, what are five concrete things that if I were in their shoes, I would want someone back home praying for me about? What's happening in their part of the world? And you write those things out, and then you pray those very things. Or maybe it's a social issue, or maybe it's a person that really is important to you. Maybe it's something in your own life you're stuck, and you're like, I don't know why I'm stuck, but what do I actually want to say to God about this? What do I want to ask Him? And as you journal it, what you'll see is a, a record of the story of what, what mattered to you when in your life. And by forcing yourself to write five concrete things, you're no longer just sitting there going, oh, dear Lord, please be with them and be with them. And Lord, if you could just be with them. Like that kind of prayer is soul deadening. What does it even mean to be with them? Why don't you put that into words? And you'll be amazed as you concretely express what is on your heart. Prayer life begins to grow. And if you've prayed for someone, that week, reach out to them. Just ping them and say, hey, 
I was praying for you this past Sunday and just thought I'd reach out and go, how's your life going? You'd be amazed how often when you do that, God surprises you with answered prayers coming from that person. And the last thing, I'm a little over my time today, so it's the last sermon of the year. I hope you'll forgive me. Here's the last practical way to practice Sabbath is just be refreshed. The point of all this is not to turn Sabbath into some other form of work. It's not about drudgery and duty. It's realizing that God made each of us differently. He's wired us differently, but every one of us has something that makes us come alive inside. And those are the kinds of things we ought to be engaging in intentionally on the Sabbath. Things that refresh our soul, that bring out the best in us, that, that awaken the noble person that is in our hearts. So do activities or be around people or go to places that inspire you, encourage you. Wake up that thing in you that wants to fully live and be your best. Enjoy the day of Sabbath rest with God. Use it as a time for God to breathe new life into you and put some wind in your sails. You know, our work matters so much to God, but what matters even more is our connection with Him and our connection with the people around us and the world around us. Listen, 2020 has been a pretty rough year. And if ever we needed to close it out with a mindfulness about rest, it's this year. And I've got news for you. I don't think the first half of 2021 is going to be really awesome either. And so as we close out this year, I just want to leave you with this beautiful invitation Jesus offers us. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. I just want to remind you that Sabbath is not just a duty, it's a gift. And it's a day when we can realize that we are most refreshed when we find our rest in Him. May God this year really give you a renewed commitment to the practice of Sabbath rest. And through it, may He recharge you, refresh you, energize you, and launch you into new directions where you're fully alive. The world is darker now than it's been in a long time, but we are the bearers of light. And as we take our Sabbath rest, we shine brighter, and the world needs us to shine right now. Amen? So let's commit ourselves afresh in 2021 to the rhythms of Sabbath rest. May God grant each of us the soul rest we so desperately need after a year like this one has been. And may that rest be so refreshing, so energizing, that instead of just healing, we become fully alive. We become people who can fill this growingly dark world with the light of Christ. The world is dying, but we are made alive in Christ. And may we bring that life to our world as we rest in Him. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit of God be blessed now and forever. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.